the golden chain of success and safety. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, before you became a Christian, you were chained by Satan. You were imprisoned without the possibility of release. These were nasty chains. And that is not strange at all, because Satan is always out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And even though he pretends he does, he never has his captor's interest at heart. The Christians, they have a golden chain. Not a chain of slavery, chain is used differently here, but a golden chain that shows freedom and security. Your heavenly Father gave you that beautiful golden necklace to show you whose you are and give you that assurance that you are his for eternity. Hear about this golden chain today. Our headings are three, the definition of the golden chain, second, the purpose of the golden chain, and uh, and then third, the explanation of the golden chain. Our goals are that you will see and believe that the Lord will save and secure you for eternity with his golden chain of salvation. And you will then live your life with thankfulness, with confidence, and with full obedience. Let's define golden chain. Well, where did this term come from? The golden chain. Well, this term is not found in the Bible, but it was used by the writers of the Canons of Dort. The term was used to reject the errors of Arminians who argued that election was conditional upon man, which, of course, implied that man was not a sinful and he could come to God by himself. Moreover, that God had to choose man, that God had to choose man, that, sorry, that man had to choose God of his own free will, that man could resist God's salvation, and in fact that man could lose his salvation. And the writers of the canon said, that's not true. That's a lie. That's no security. That's salvation that depends upon man. And they said, no, God has us with a salvation in an unbreakable golden chain. You can read more about that in Canons of Dort, First Head of Doctrine, Rejection of Errors too, And that's why they use this term, the unbreakable golden chain of your salvation. So what exactly does the golden chain mean? It means that God begins and completes the process of saving mankind in an unstoppable way out of love. The devil's chains were for slavery. Christ's chains are for security. So, what can we learn from this definition? First of all, there are many people who hold this mantra, no creed but Christ, we just love Jesus. We don't need to know all those fancy doctrines about election and predestination. Well, their mantra actually hurts their ability 
to love Christ. And it hurts their ability to serve Christ. Because you're not going to serve him or live for his glory if he did so much for you the same way as if he did this much for you. The more you understand what he has done, the more you understand the hopelessness of the human condition, the more you understand how you were enslaved by the devil, then you would really much more appreciate the security you have in Jesus Christ. So doctrines are important. When you think of the holiness of God, and then you line up man next to God, and you think, what does God see when he looks at us? Not a man who is trying, but God looks and says, yuck. What a filthy creature. Look how far he's departed from Adam and Eve in the garden when they had not fallen. And when you understand that distinction between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, then you say, oh, now I understand more. I can love him more. I can serve him better. And not only are you to learn doctrines, you're to teach doctrines to your children. That's the distinction or the distinguishing mark of many. The Reformed faith you learn, you need to teach the catechisms to your children. You need to teach doctrines when you read the Bible. Oh, maybe when they're infants you can read some of the little stories they get excited about, but better move to doctrine soon because doctrines teach us how to love and how to serve. Second lesson is this. Rejoice in the security you have in Jesus Christ. Never see serving Jesus as a restriction on your freedom because he only restricts what's bad for you. And he supplies all your needs to do the things good for you. He gives you everything to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He gives you his word, nourishment for your soul. He gives you his sacrament to strengthen your soul. He gives you everything. Coming to worship must never be a restriction on your freedom. It must be something that you delight to do, to gather with God's people, to praise his name, because it's better than anything else you can imagine in the existence of humanity when you come here to worship. So what's the purpose? We not know the definition. Is that link of all the doctrines, the process of salvation that is unbroken for the Christian. What's the purpose? Verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. God loved man when men did not love him. So we have this word foreknew. And anytime people see this word, or many people would say, ah, that means God knew before those who would believe. But of course, that's not true at all. Not, you can't take a word and break it up and then say, that's the meaning of the word. Remember the example I like to use. You don't take a butter and fly and make butterflies. Same thing with the word repentance. Sometimes people look at the old word metanoia, means change of mind, but that's not what repentance is. Repentance means it's a godly hatred of your sin. It's forsaking your sin and turning around and living obediently. It's much deeper, much fuller. So when you look at the word 
foreknew, whom God foreknew, he also predestined, you have to say, well, what does that word mean? To know means to know, this word for know is to know in a close way. Just like the Bible says, Adam knew his wife and she conceived, she became pregnant. So it's best to translate this word for love, for whom he foreloved. The ones he loved before time are the ones he chose. That's the teaching of Scripture. Now grab your notes so we can read some passages together. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Together. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Now, Jeremiah was not a perfect man. But yet God loved him. Before I formed you in the womb, I loved you. Ephesians 1, 4. Together. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So he didn't say, let me see if Elder Kidd is going to be good, and then I will choose him. Otherwise, God would never choose him. God says, I'm going to do it because it gives me pleasure. The good pleasure of his will. See there, the glory of God again. Look at one of the clearest cases where God uses the different, shows how this word should be used uh, in, in this meaning of love. Amos chapter 3, verse 2, together. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Now, did God know all the peoples of the world? Yes, intellectually he did. But when he said, you only have I known, it means you only have I loved. You're the one I loved. I know the others. I know them. I love you. That's why I'm going to discipline you when you do wrong. He didn't care about the others. He cared about his people. So that's the word there. The ones that, the ones that he foreloved are the ones he predestined. That's the starting of the golden chain of salvation. God then predestined sinful men to be conformed to the image of his son. Now it starts to get kind of interesting as we look at this definition. The, the goal of this golden chain is that you will be conformed to the image of his son. This means you were chosen to be made like Christ. Look at a couple of passages now, Romans 12, 1 and 2, together. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, you're going to be transformed to be like Jesus. And by the way, you notice where this comes. Romans 12, 1. 
What do you find in Romans 1 through 11? You find the sinfulness of man and then the salvation of man. And then 12 through 16, chapters 12 through 16, describe the service of man. And the service of man is to become like Jesus, to work for his glory. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Together. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. We are beloved by God, chosen by God, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, Look how the picture gets even richer now. In loving and choosing man for salvation, God's son would be firstborn from among many brethren. So verse 29, whom he foreknew, he predestined, we know what that means now, to be conformed to the image of his son, to become more like Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among brethren that Jesus might be the firstborn among brothers. What does that mean? Firstborn? Well, it means, it meant by doing that work for a man, Jesus would be preeminent. Your election in Christ was for the goal of making Jesus preeminent. That's what firstborn means. It doesn't mean the one born first. In fact, many times a second or third born would be the firstborn in a Jewish family. It just means the one who had the greatest responsibility and the highest place of prominence. So now you see the purpose of creation. It is the glory of Christ. And now you see the purpose of recreation. It is the glory of Christ. Interesting how these sermons tie together. Colossians 1, 15 and 18, together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Again, Revelation 1, 5, together. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. You know, other people were raised from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, some dead people were raised up. Lazarus, others were raised from the dead. But none of them was described as preeminent. When Jesus was raised, He's described that way. That beautiful picture of his resurrection, a means of giving us light. Now, here's where this is really fascinating. In Israel, the firstborn son became the head of the family. The father died, and the rest of the family depended on him. That's where you see, again, the covenant headship. That's the responsibility of fathers and uh, elders and representative leadership or federal headship that we have. So those sons became the head of the family. When Jesus, the firstborn, came, 
on whom the whole Christian family depended, he is to be seen as the firstborn. He is the firstborn from the dead. And every family member depends on him. So God's foreloving is with the view that man will then work for the glory of the one who is your firstborn, the one who is your head. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? What can we learn here? Three things. First of all, your salvation is based on God's desire to exalt his son. You heard today in the first sermon, your creation was for that very purpose. You heard that last week too. Now you're being shown here by the Apostle Paul that your salvation, your recreation, was about the glory of Jesus Christ. Yes, did God choose you because he loved you? Yes, but it was primarily about the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Psalm 45 Verse 7 and 8. Together, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. All your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad. Who was that describing there? That's the bridegroom and the beautiful clothing, and the scent of him, that you want to be around him. He's the one who is rich. That's why when you read Songs of Solomon, you see the bride desiring to be close to him, because he's glorious. Who wants to be around a smelly person? But around Jesus, who is in his ivory palace, That's the one you need to be next to. It's about the glory of God in Jesus Christ. But then this also tells you how you need to be humble. You are not the center of the world. Your election is first about the glory of Jesus Christ. Does God love you? Absolutely. But his love for you tells you that you must work for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. That's your purpose in life, to work for the glory of Jesus Christ. Third, if you are to be humble, then let humility lead you to change. You need to worship God in the way he says, not in the way you want. Now, you could go on forever examining this and the failure of the church in Western society because we have changed worship to whatever we want. There was a picture recently of uh, uh, one of the Anglican leaders in England had a Muslim man lead the church service. Now that's extreme and ridiculous on face, but many times we've changed what worship is. It's become about entertainment. No, it should be about the glory of God, not what make man feel good and that he's okay. Raise your children the way God says, because your children are to be raised with the sense that they are to live for the glory of God. But it's all of life. How you voted election time, it must be with a view to the glory of God. 
And you think, well, why are you mentioning that? Because most people vote for the person who will put money in their pockets. Not even security, but put money in their pockets. Who's going to start a new welfare program and they could benefit from? About the way God says, put others first. That's for the glory of God. Sometimes you have to sacrifice yourself. You're tired and your children need help. You have to do so. A friend calls and need to, needs to talk. You spend the time doing so. Is it always convenient? No. You meet a visitor. You meet someone. You want to invite them to your home. Is it always easy? Do you sometimes have to rush to prepare something for them to eat or to spend time with them? Of course it is. But put others first. It's about the glory of God. In short, love God, love man. So let's look at the details now. We know what the definition is of the golden chain. It's that unbreakable salvation, that bond that we have with God where everything ties together. And the purpose of that unbreakable bond of salvation is the glory of Jesus Christ, which humbles us. So we want to get some details about this, the explanation of the golden chain. That's verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. God predestined or decreed those whom he would save, just as he determines everything that happens. Acts 4 verse 20 says, together, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. It's kind of interesting that these people, Herod, who was like a half Jew, half Gentile, Pilate, who was the pure Gentile, Roman, and then even the people of Israel, were gathered together, and some other Gentile people who were there, they were all doing what God determined for them to do. They did it willingly of their, we'd say, of their own free will they chose, and yet was what God had ordained. Those whom God predestined, he then called Not in a haphazard way, but in a determined, effective, irresistible way. This call comes from the Holy Spirit using the Word of God. It is a call to come out from among them, to come out from wickedness, to leave your false religion and come to Christ and to serve Him. But it's a warm call saying, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, those who are burdened, come and I will give you rest. And it's not an indifferent call. It's not if you reject it, well, it doesn't matter. It's a life and death call. Come and live, stay and die. So it's a call from love to the one, to the ones he foreloved. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. Together to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's like a perfect summary of this sermon. You're called by the man with the gospel of truth 
to the goal of the glory of Jesus. And beloved brothers and sisters, this call comes from the pulpit, but it also comes from the pew. It's your job to call people to Jesus Christ, starting with your children. Now, they're predestined, they're called. What happens when they're called by the gospel? Those who are called by the gospel will be justified. Justified based on the work of Jesus Christ. The call are declared innocent because Jesus took their punishment and who then can lay a charge to God's elect? Because God will say their debts are crossed out. It will be stamped across their account, paid in full. Or as the judges would say, the conviction is vacated. It's gone. It's done. It's not coming back. That's justification. Whoever is called, whoever is chosen will be called. Whoever is called will be justified. And then he said, those who are justified, he will glorify If you suffer with him, the Bible says you will reign with him. You will get a glorious body free from sin and shame and pain that are in this world. A hundred percent guaranteed. A couple of passages, 1 Corinthians 15, 49, 52, and 53 together. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Imagine that, no sickness in heaven. That's where we will be. Philippians 3.20, together. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that we may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. You talk about a glorious body. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go, I'll prepare a place for you. I'll come again, receive you, take you to be with me. Where I am, there you may be also. Not in a sin-cursed world, but in heaven. 1 John 3, verse 2, together. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like he is. You notice what's fascinating about this passage is the glorification is described as having been done already. Why? Because it's certain in God's eyes. That's why this is so a beautiful chain that says once started, it will end. It's not going to be pulled apart and broken. This is one chain you don't want broken. The devil's chain ripped to shreds. 
Well, this is a chain that protects you, keeps you in a safe place. What is missing from that list? If you're chosen, you'll be called. If you're called, you'll be justified. And then there's a jump to glorification. What's missing? What's missing there is sanctification. Why? Not that it was not important part. In fact, it's absolutely important. That's why he had just spent a long time talking about sanctification. So that was understood or implied, and the people knew it. So what can we learn here? First of all, since God uses external calls, continue to play your part by speaking gospel truth to the world and pray for and encourage those who are promoting that gospel truth to the world. See, sometimes in the Reformed faith, we can think so much theoretically and think of what duties are, and we should, but we must never forget that prayer goes always alongside the preaching of the Word of God. Second, if God calls a hundred people, 100 people will be justified, 100 people will be sanctified, 100 people will be glorified. None is ever lost. So if you've heard the outward call and the inward call, rejoice. You're safe. Sing. Praise God. Third, God continues to strengthen you by his word and sacraments today. Feed on it. In doing this, you'll be assured of your coming glorification more and more. And if you know what's going to happen, and it's good, you will confidently be able to go about your duties now. You'll be able to glorify God more. And that's why you need that constant reminder. And if you're careless about worship, you're going to be doubtful of your glorification and you'll be weak in your response. Four, if your salvation depended on another person, that person could change his mind and you'd be lost forever. Or that person may not have the ability to do what he should, what he should do for your salvation. That's why salvation doesn't even depend upon you. Or even the best man in the history of the world. It depends upon God. Your God is not weak and sickly. He was willing and he was able to save you. Our Father, he loves us, in heaven has all power. He is willing, he is able. Five. The election must never be used as an excuse for sin, neither for the uh, Christian nor for the non-Christian. See, divine sovereignty uses human agency to accomplish his decree. Uh, so, decree. So if someone is called by God, God will use you to share the message of Jesus Christ. So don't say, like... Uh, the leaders of the Baptist Church in England that told William Carey, God doesn't need you to preach the gospel. He'll save the, uh, the Christians with or without you. No, God used human agency. Because he went to India, 
what a blessing it was for that country where so many had been saved. And if you're a believer, you must fight against sin. Don't say, I'm saved, I could live however I want. No, there's that battle. Work out your salvation with daffodils and marshmallows. No, with fear and trembling. There's a battle. God uses means. What if you're not a believer? You know, some people would say, well, I'm not a believer, but I I don't know. uh, I'm not elected, so uh, I can't be saved. Well, you sin because you are a sinner. You don't sin because you're not elected. You sin because you're willful. That's the human contribution to your guilt and shame. Plus, you inherit sins from your father. So you are guilty. So don't use the fact and say, well, I'm not elected, therefore I, can, I have to sin. That's not the reason you sin, because you are a sinner. Let's conclude. You were elected, you were called, you were justified, you were sanctified, and you are, let's put it in positively, you are glorified wondrously. This is this golden chain. Once you were elected, your glorification was certain. And all of this happened through the saving, well, first through the creation of Jesus and then the recreation of Jesus. And he was chosen before the foundation of the world to do this. 1 Peter 1.20 says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Jesus came to make you and then to remake you in his image. So, beloved in the Lord Jesus, praise God, you have the golden chain. It's not like the chains of slavery to keep you trapped. This is like a beautiful 24-carat chain that shows that you wear around your neck to show how much you are loved. And when anyone sees that, no one can touch you because there will know property of the Holy One, property of the eternal God, property of Jesus Christ. No one dares to touch you because it shows who your Savior is. That wretched sinner that you were, you are now a child of Almighty God. So praise God for that. But let it also humble you. See, the same theme. Your Father loves you, but you still have to obey Him. It's not an excuse to sin. Remember this. God was not and still is not desperate for you. You are desperate for him. So balance that. Indeed, he loves you greatly. But you need him. You need him every day. So let that humble you. But humble is not simply a state of the heart. That humility must be translated that you would live a life of thankfulness, faithfulness, and true obedience. When you do this, this will bring glory to the one for whom all things were designed, the Lord Jesus Christ. Two sermons, same point. 
It comes back to the glory of Jesus Christ. One, when you were made. This one, when you were remade. And if you're not a Christian, you're still in the chains of Satan. And those chains will lead you to hell. That is the reality. That is the truth. That is the gospel truth. But there is a way of liberation where those chains can be broken. Christ's chain will never be broken, but the devil's chains can be. And if the devil's chains are around your neck, cry out to God, genuinely cry out to God for rescue, and he will do so. Why? Because Jesus paid for sinner's freedom. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your words. Thank you for reminding us of how deep your love is for us. That love that keeps us, not only calls us to you, but keeps us for eternity. Let us then respond knowing how much you loved us and living that life that will promote the cause of Christ and bring him glory and honor and praises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.